What's up, everyone? Welcome back to episode number four of the Leaders in Sport podcast. Uh, before we dive any further on this episode, I would just like to thank everyone who's already liked, commented, subscribed to the podcast. If you could do us a huge favor as listeners, uh, go on, leave a review, leave a rating, and help to get the word out on the podcast. If you've liked the first three episodes, if you think there's a lot of value here and a lot of opportunity, and you think that you as a coach are growing and other people in the industry could do so as well, it makes a huge, huge difference uh, if you can just go on and leave a review. We don't want any money. Uh, we don't want your firstborn. We would just like a review of the podcast to help drive it and you know just spread the word to other people in the performance industry. Today's episode, we are joined by a, a fellow Nova Scotian, someone that's close to Sylvie's heart, Dr. Cox, Nicole McLennan. I hope I said that right, Nicole. You can, you can correct me if I did not. Is a naturopathic doctor based out of Nova Scotia. She completed her certification in sports nutrition through the International Society of Sports Nutrition, ISSN, and has taken medicine, sport medicine training at Harvard, which was a, a pretty cool little topic to talk about. I, I guess in my mind, I don't associate Harvard with sports medicine, but it makes sense that they would also have a, a, a sector of that. And her clinical practice is focused on regenerative uh, medicine and performance optimization out of uh, Nova Scotia right now, Halifax or Dartmouth? Yeah, she she actually lives in the Valley and works in Dartmouth for those Nova Scotians out there. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Cokes runs the off-season podcast and that's focused on athletic recovery, experience and boosting performance through athlete stories. It's excellent. I've been a guest on it. Uh, go check out that podcast as well. And uh, because she is a very ambitious person and she is has been very interested as a young athlete herself, uh, she's been very interested in female athletes and helping them uh, with you know, some of the struggles that they might have as females. And so she has created and co-founded the Glass Lion Project. And I've been fortunate to do some stuff on recovery for this. It's an awesome initiative. Um, I wish I had that information as a young athlete myself. And so she talks to young athletes about how to optimize their performance. And we were stoked to talk to her. Stoked to talk to Dr. Cox. Uh, if, you, if you are a strength coach and or a, a trainer or a therapist that works with young female athletes, uh, we would suggest that you head over and check out the Glass Lion Project. Awesome. Without further ado, Dr. Cox. Back to another episode of the DFS podcast. So excited to be here. Uh, we're super excited to have our guest with us. We wish we were doing this in person because you're in our maybe, maybe first, maybe second favorite place in the world. So, so something top two, anyway. Um, so, Nicole, thank you so much for being on. You have a nickname. What is your nickname? How did it develop? Why is it so significant? Why is it everywhere? Yeah, that's a good question. I get asked that one a lot. So, it's Dr. Cokes. Um, and when I was born, my brother couldn't say my name, so he called me Coco. And then kind of as I grew up and aged and become a refined young woman, I guess, it kind of evolved into Cokes. And then I figured, um, you know, with the medical degree and everything, I was going to get married. So how do I keep everything without having to change my last name? And I mean, like you, you guys know the dressing room, it's all about nicknames. So I just figured, hey, Dr. Cokes, it, it works, right? That's awesome. That's amazing. Okay, that's good. I, I didn't want to butcher it too. I was fairly cer certain that that's what it was, but I did not want to say it incorrectly and then have you correct me on your nickname, which is a <laughs> for you. So yeah, definitely. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're going to get into a uh, bunch of different things. I guess, first up, how do you, you and Sylvie connected initially, right? Yeah. So, well, we're basically, obviously both from the East Coast. So um, we have some friends in common and basically through the internet though, through Instagram um, was sort of how we originally connected. And I was fortunate to be on on uh, Nicole's podcast, the off season. So we kind of connected through that and we're doing a lot of similar things. So, yeah, I mean, you can probably expand on that, but. <laughs> sure. I like fangirled a little bit, to be honest with you. Um, one of my patients here, um, I pitched him my idea of starting a podcast and stuff. And he was just like, Oh, do you know Sylvie? And I was like, well, no. And he was just like, go check out all of her stuff. And I did. And I was like, Whoa, this girl is doing like my dream right now. So, um, yeah, I just kind of reached out to you and I was basically, how did you get where you are right now? Um, and then you were so gracious to give me some of your time and it kind of spiraled from there, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, let's go back a bit and just talk about, you know, how you, how you started with all of this. So um, we were huge on obviously getting to the why you're doing what you're doing today. Uh, obviously, we just chatted about sports a bit. So you started off in, uh, in sports, like, was that just your passion from a very young age, you kind of knew you wanted to work with athletes? Or yeah, where did where did it start? Yeah, so growing up, I mean, sports was my everything. I played up till university for hockey. I played for Dalhousie. Um, and then I played provincial level ringette. I played um, provincial level soccer as well. So if there was an opportunity for sports, I was definitely there. Um, and it just seemed so ingrained in pretty well everything I did. I think I could skate better than I could walk as a kid for the most part. Um, and then for school, I finished high school and I kind of wanted to go into art school, funny enough. So my dad, being a very smart businessman, he said, if you um, go into business school, I will pay for your arts degree afterwards. So I mean, like fine arts. I was talking like painting, drawing, all that sort of stuff. So he knew once I would go through that program that I probably wouldn't go back to art school. But um, working through school and the commerce program at Dal, I decided um, that I wanted to do a little bit more health and wellness type of stuff. So um dietetics kind of was my next adventure and dietetics was pretty cool I got to do a lot of different opportunities and work with sports teams and work in the QMJHL and stuff and then um, I was working at Halifax Rehabilitation Center and oh, god love this guy he was a double leg amputee from diabetes complications and like my one tool was handing him Canada's food Canada's food guide so not the new one um, and he had two liters of coke next to his bed and I was just like you know what I don't think I'm starting early enough here and then so I went to naturopathic medical school and I was really into like the prevention side of things and I I initially wanted to do everything sports there and I was on um, any extra credit stuff for sports I would definitely do and then there was a few different residency, op residency options and I um, was between fertility and sports for me. And I was really interested um, in like an athletic fertility type of deal too. But I ended up getting the sports residency and I feel like life just kind of hands you what you're supposed to go after. And it just made so much sense to me. I don't know why I took a little bit of a misstep in towards fertility, but, you know, maybe it'll pay off down the road a little bit later too. Awesome. Yeah. So you, where did you go to, to naturopathic medicine school? Uh, the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, um, and that's in Toronto. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, there's just one in Canada? 
there's two in Canada. There's Boucher. Boucher, I think that's how you say it. Uh, and that one's in BC. Oh, so you, so you lived in Toronto for how long then? Two, two years? Four years. Um, Four years. So I left the Valley and went to the big city and what an adventure it was. It was sweet though. Like so many sports events, so many concerts. Like I, I loved it there for the time that I was there. And then I was pretty excited to come home afterwards. Got it. And then I, was there, I think I read somewhere that you spent some time at Harvard or involved in Harvard as well. Was that part of, was that part of the educational process? Yeah. So when I did naturopathic medicine, um, I mean, it's always about differentiation and what I could offer athletes at the highest level and regenerative medicine seems to be the way to go. So like prolotherapy and platelet rich plasma injections um, and anything to kind of like get athletes back to their game faster is where my headspace mm -hmm. was at. Um, and so Harvard was putting on a regenerative medicine course, training course, and I just went up there and spent a week and hung out and we were using like the top of the line ultrasound guided machines and it was amazing. Um, so it was pretty sweet to learn all of that stuff and come home and start to apply it as much as possible. It's, uh, it is, it is, I'm assuming they were doing injections while you were there, right? Like PRP injections? Yeah, definitely. It is crazy. It is crazy to watch a, a really good technician and a really good doctor go to work on it. I have seen, I've seen a lot of them now. So uh, I'm impressed every time. Yeah. And like the machines that they have, like even the most expensive ultrasound machine I could afford would be like a piece of junk compared to their machines. So it was tough to watch all of that technology and then come home and, and not really have any of it either. Right. Amazing. So you came, you, you finished school, you came, you went back, uh, back to the Valley or back, I guess you're in Dartmouth now, correct? Yeah, I work out of uh, Burnside. So I'm at Proactive Health and Performance Center. Um, and it is owned by Dr. Warren Hefford. So he's a sports chiropractor. And then we have two other chiropractors, two physiotherapists and a massage therapist. And it's a wicked team. Like I absolutely love kind of going in there. It's probably the first place that I've ever worked where I've never had a day where I'm like, ah, I don't want to go there, you know? But, and it, and it, is there, is there a, tra a training component to it as well? Or it's just, it's just from the rehabilitation, like not necessarily rehab, but prehab rehab perspective. Yeah. It's interesting to, to talk to kind of all the people that work there. They have such a fabulous mindset in the preventative care of things. And it's probably the only place that I've ever worked or combination of practitioners that I've seen personally who know so much about athletics and know so much about um, human anatomy too and biomechanics. So it kind of all phases into one. So it's it's a sweet system. I'll do prolotherapy and then we'll get you right back into physiotherapy to, you know, strengthen all the ligament, uh, strengthen all the muscles around um, the injection site and kind of you're good to go. And then um, there's one of our physios does a lot of uh, training as well. So we have a full on gym in the back and uh, each kind of practitioner has their own thing. There's one guy that is really into golf. So he does golf screens and golf assessments and puts together training programs for golfers in the off season, which is pretty sweet. Um, and then one guy's really into Olympic powerlifting. One guy's really into jiu-jitsu. Um, and then Warren, the owner, he's pretty into hockey. And I would say like mine is hockey as well for the most part, but really it seems to be you know, any athlete, it's, it's fairly transferable what you're telling them across the board, you know? So do you work primarily with athletes? Um, like, is that your main, um, clientele right now? Yeah, I think right now my main clientele would be anyone kind of looking to get better, I would say. So we have super high level athletes that come in there. And then I also see, you know, people just entering, 
the athletics world. And um, I can't, my pitch to most places or any time that I speak is like, we have to perform at some level every single day. So if we could optimize your performance at any level, that's literally what I'm willing to do if you're willing to put in the work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think like, you know, working with athletes and working with people who want to perform at their best, like there, there is so much crossover. They're not these, you know, freaks of nature that um, don't put in the work and just everything comes naturally. Right. Which uh, I think a lot of people look at athletes in that way um, a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's hilarious. Especially like, it's kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's a fun tool for weight loss, but I always feel like there's this magical thing of self-control that, um, people striving towards things think high level athletes have. I'm like, no, they want cake. They want to have a glass of wine. Everyone wants that. It's just what is their goal that's deterring them from, you know, when no one's watching in the deepest, darkest corners, what keeps them motivated towards what they're doing? And just kind of being able to break that down a little bit, I, th- I think is helpful for people. For sure. So then what, what's, uh, what's a day to day look like for you? right now. Definitely. So I work Tuesday to Friday. I used to work Mondays, but um, for kind of work-life balance, I've taken my Mondays back and those look like, you know, accounting or hanging out with my dog or we have 11 acres of land here. So just kind of exploring and seeing what's out there. Um, And then the days that I do work, Tuesdays, Thursdays are kind of late ones. And it could be anything that I see in the run of a day from weight loss to pain management to um, just straight up injections or IV therapy or literally anything that walks in the door at this point. And then right. and the so, week- sorry, keep going. No, I was just going to say the weekends are kind of a free for all, whatever comes up this weekend. I did a couple of presentations and talks. And now that uh, I have a couple other projects on the go, I just try to work away at those. I think we're going to hop into those other projects, but you, for people, we were talking about prolotherapy and PRP recently. And, and I, I think that's, uh, that's certainly a mystery to most people. So can you discuss that a little bit, let people know what it's about, uh, why it's beneficial? Yeah. So we're in a little bit of a unique situation here in Nova Scotia um, as naturopathic doctors. So since we are an unregulated province, we have to hold a license in another province. So right now I have an Alberta license and a Nova Scotia um, association license, essentially. So I I wouldn't even call it a license, a Nova Scotia association membership. Um, So we were able to do PRP through our Alberta license, but then something changed. um, And now I'm switching over to a BC license to be able to do it again. It's just a lot of paperwork and processing. So if anyone from the regulatory board is listening, I am following all the rules. I am waiting to do PRP. But what PRP essentially is, is um, we take the patient's blood out of their body and we spin it or put it in a um, PRP machine. And what comes out is platelet-rich plasma. So I was like describe platelets as the coach of the healing process. They tell the growth factors where to go. They tell, you know, get everyone on board to help heal the area of injury. And when we look at the research for PRP, it's really coming out for um, ligament, tendon, and um, osteoarthritic changes or arthritic changes. And then there's some papers out there that are actually showing like regrowth of um, cartilage and stuff like that, which is, it was pretty exciting. The crazy thing about PRP and all the research is there's no standardization of how it's done. So it's really hard to say with any sort of certainty um, on a mass scale, what the outcomes will be, you know, anecdotally, we see a lot of awesome stuff, um, but then to standardize it, it hasn't fully been done yet. And what, um, 
what sort of like anecdotally, what sort of protocols are you following? What, like, what do you, is one injection, two, three, uh, spaced a week apart, two weeks apart? Yeah. So back when I was doing it, um, it would be depending on the degree of injury for the most part is what I would say. And depending on the, the health of the individual who is getting the injections. So when we look at what we're taking off your blood, if your blood is relatively unhealthy, it's going to take longer to heal. Um, and when we say unhealthy, I mean like very inflammatory in terms of what you're eating. And um, you know, if it's a, if you have a lot of excess weight and you know, it's one of those weight bearing joints, it's going to take longer to heal because we're kind of like eroding while we're trying to heal as well. Um, so it's just how the person takes care of themselves is really going to be indicative of how well the injections work, I would say. Um, and then my, again, not a lot of standardization of, of processes, but my thought process is to let the full inflammatory cascade happen and then come back down and then reassess. So if somebody comes in or when somebody used to come in and get PRP, I would probably wait the four to six weeks duration and then check in with them and say like, what did you notice from this? Did we get the right spot? All that sort of stuff. But in a context of a pro athlete or whoever um, is getting it that has to get back to sport as quick as possible, maybe we expedite that process a little bit. So it's very dependent on who's getting it. Um, and of course, everyone wants to get to heal as soon as possible, but we just really have to be mindful of, you know, how much it costs and timelines to heal and how healthy the person is, I, I would say. Um, and what I do mostly now is prolotherapy, which is probably kind of a step down from PRP, but works amazing as well. Can you explain that for people? Yeah. So the whole point of prolotherapy and PRP is allow, to allow your body to have a huge inflammatory reaction where we inject it to remind the body to kind of go heal that area. So we're causing inflammation um, to initiate that healing process. So if you think about it, if you like rolled your ankle, it gets hot, swollen and puffy. Um, and that's your body trying to heal itself. So that's kind of what we're trying to do at any sort of chronic injury site, recause an acute inflammatory reaction to heal the area. Um, and prolothera or, sorry, yeah, prolotherapy works really, really well for like ligament and tendon stuff. Um, usually on average, it's four to six treatments. Um, I usually wait about two weeks between treatments and I'm always looking for um, significant change in between the injection times. Um, and yeah, I've been getting amazing results with prolotherapy too. I think, yeah, I mean, all of medicine, I think is trending in that direction, especially for, for athletes. Um, like with that and then stem cell injections, like it'll be really interesting to see in another, in another five to 10 years, uh, what happens uh, post-injury and how many athletes go without operations. Yeah, it's going to be so wild. And like this field of medicine is fascinating to me. I doubt naturopaths will ever have um, the game in stem cells, but just to even see what's out there and advise patients on what's out there. Cause I, I really see that's the role of, you know, um, even dietitians and naturopathic doctors to, to refer where possible or start to set the, the pylons in a row for what your options are for things. Um, yeah. And like, corticosteroid injections over time wear away at the joint. So we're trying to keep these guys in the game as long as possible. Right. And that's pretty counterintuitive to doing that. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Like we've, I mean, yeah, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of athletes that are exceptionally interested in it. I'll say that. Um, yeah. So when you start thinking about pro athlete, like a five degree difference in the joint uh, range of motion as a result of surgery is like, like that's significant. That's millions of dollars. Yes, Definitely. Yeah. It, that's not like I play pickup 
baseball with my friends on Thursday. Yeah. So Although those guys are struggling too. We do need they, they want it too. They want it just yeah. as bad. <laughs> yeah, but, definitely. Uh, and like the that. duration of time. The duration of time in sports seems to be the biggest thing. Like if we could keep you in there two, three more years, I mean, that's all the difference in the world, right? For sure. Yeah. So and then I, I'm assuming you guys are you're complementing that with with diet lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's shocking to me, like I think it's getting better. So you would probably say that it's hopefully getting better. Um, but how much, how uh, less emphasis there still is on nutrition or how much, um, sh- how shocked the, the athletes are of how big of an impact it can make. And I work a lot with young female athletes and female athletes in general. And when I take an inventory of how much they're consuming, it blows my mind of how little food is going into their bodies and how much output they're doing. I'm sure you see the same thing too. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, the majority of what I do, and this is even like with professional, um, athletes is like telling them to eat more is actually what we're focusing on the majority of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, especially with female athletes, I mean, we'll get into that because I know you, you focus on it a lot, but yeah, it, it, it is, uh, it is shocking, like just, you know, and we've, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but just like mastering the basics. And even though they are professional athletes, like there's, like you said, there still are those challenges to, to get there. And that's athletes at all levels, just kind of, again, knowing what's going to work for them specifically. So. Yeah. And like all of these trends don't skip athletes, right? Like a lot of intermittent fasting, a lot of keto, a lot of those types of questions. And I'm like, man, we need fuel guys. I don't know if intermittent fasting is the way to go. If there's tons of digestive issues and stuff like that, maybe, but I think, um, you know, it's so tough to take, to try to stay up on all of this without some sort of coach or guidance, I would say. Yeah. What is the problem you're solving the most in your practice? Would you say, or trying to solve? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably, (laughs) disseminating like accurate information i would say so a lot of the social media is coming out with well everything i don't even know what's coming next out on it but i think just being a beacon of like solid well-researched evidence-based information um and like really putting it into like realistic context for somebody's life so sure keto could you know allow them to lose weight quicker potentially but they have five kids, they're extremely stressed out, they're burnt out times a million, and they're doing high intensity interval training seven days a week. Like trying to break that up and really educating on how that's destroying their body in the long run uh, seems to be a lot of the day to day. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of, I guess, mitigating stress in a lot of different ways in there. Yeah, the internal and external stressors that, yeah. Definitely. And people don't understand that. I think, um, you know, just in terms of the physical stress and what that does long-term. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, more is better. Well, not necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. And this perceived stress thing, like I've been pulling all the research papers I can together on this to really try to like put it into some sort of understanding that perceived stress elicits the exact same response, physiological response in our body as an actual stressor. So, um, a lot of people say I'm not stressed or I don't have a lot of stress in my life, but you know, a little anxious thought here and there is kind of doing the same thing. And those can build up over time too. Right. 
For sure. And if you think about, you know, obviously the pressure from, you know, performing with their body that that alone is, is very stressful. So, yeah. 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 Um, so you said you work pri- primarily with um, hockey players, but I know you work with a lot of fighters too. You work mm-hmm. with a friend of ours out there. So um, Chris, yeah. So yeah. Uh, um, what's, th- what's that like? Like just, you know, I know I, from working with a couple uh, fighters, it's, it's very specific, especially with the weight cut. And Adrian can, can definitely fo- talk about this and his, um, his experience with it. But yeah, what, what is that like working with, with fighters? I think uh, it's tough, actually. Um, I, I, I mean, as an overall generalization, it seems to be that mindset of bigger, faster, stronger at all times. Um, and I think like there's a lot of Joe's at the gym said this. And so I'm just doing what he told me, you know, so kind of breaking down those molds and breaking down those barriers and, and, um, the fight dietitian. Have you guys seen him on? Yeah. Instagram you post a lot of his. Yeah. I think he's doing an amazing job to really try to, um, break down, that old stereotypical cut, you know, and you have to sweat for hours, not eat any food. Like none of that really in any sort of performance realm makes a lot of sense. Um, And Adrian, you've probably been through it, so you could speak to it way better than I could, but it's crazy what happens to the body. And um, there's a new research paper that, or it was a case study that they just showed, you know, even the tiniest bit of, of cuts from like 2% body water loss how detrimental that was to heart health and cardiovascular health too so it's it's pretty wild what these guys are putting them through and through a perfect scenario there's still dysfunction so i can't even imagine or the hear the stories of what some guys are going through i'm like ah you guys are ruining your bodies you know and female athletes same sort of thing like they're trying to fit into these insane weight categories and just ruining their bodies and female athlete triad is, is just rampant in that world as well. Yeah. I would say I was probably, I would, when it was really dialed in and I was doing it really well, I was probably, I was probably sweating eight pounds at 145. So that's like close to 6%, mm. um, like five or 6%. Um, so yeah, no, it is, it's certainly not a healthy thing. I mean, I, I yeah, I'm pretty sure, not pretty sure I'm well aware um, <laughs> I back-to-back training camps and, and weight cuts absolutely triggered, um, Graves disease in my body. So my family's got a history and I had no issues up to that. And then coming mm-hmm. out of the second one, I was, I was shattered, which is pretty common, really like thyroid issues. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a healthy aspect of the sport. If there was a way to make it go away, it, it would be great. Um, but there is something about it. That's, uh, that's enjoyable i suppose (laughs) yeah and these athletes are like beast mode like they're sitting on the edge of their seats when they come into the office and they're like sympathetic overdrive you know so even just bringing that down a little bit and the best way i could describe it and i don't even know if it's a helpful analogy because i've never fought anyone ever but if you could slow everything down and kind of land a punch exactly where you wanted to punch it versus freaking out and just punching because it's time to punch you know if we kind of make that balance happen a little bit better for athletes i think that would be a game changer in that sport right big time absolutely um you mentioned you mentioned uh one of your other initiatives and Syl mentioned it earlier you talked about working with female athletes and Mm -hmm. i I sense that you guys have that in common being females in sport uh which is which is a, a small category uh undoubtedly what what is that initiative what's it about 
Yeah, so this is like, I've been sitting on this project for probably four or five years and um, I've just gotten a couple universe kick in the pants lately to like get after it. Um, so my experience as an athlete, um, I didn't eat much. My stomach bothered me a lot growing up. Um, and I'm pretty sure looking back now, it was just performance anxiety, <laughs> like for lack of a better term for anything. Um, and I was also severely anemic and had horrible periods. So I remember, you know, getting on the bus at Dal for an away game just barely alive in terms of the amount of pain that I was in and you were expected to perform at a highest level and the conversation to say like hey coach I don't feel great or I, I can you know barely stand up with the amount of pain that I'm in right now was a difficult conversation and those lines weren't always open so um, it's not that we can't power through or, or play through these type of things and it's almost I want to educate girls that it's like a uh, a power that we have. We just have to understand it and we have to know what's right and what's wrong about it and what's okay and what's not okay about it. So the project is called Glass Lion. And um, the theory behind that, I guess, like not to get, you know, too whimsical, but I'm a Leo. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, that would pretty accurately represent my personality, I would say. Um, so the lion part of this is like this strong, independent, um, kind of control type of deal where you have the power there. And then the glass is like the, the femininity, the little bit of, um, you know, piece of you that can break down and can start to ask questions and be comfortable with who you are. So that's kind of why I put those two together. Um, and the whole point of the thing is to teach young girls what's okay and what's not okay in terms of what's normal and what's not normal what um does the anatomy of a female look like and what's normal and what's not normal and and really break down those differences to say like hey everybody's body really is different and th there's no right or wrong for a lot of this and teach them about the menstrual cycle and how it all works and um when to ask questions and when to go to your doctor and all that sort of stuff so almost like a i guess for lack of a better word like health class for young female athletes to really break down some of these concepts for them. Yeah. And I think like when you, when we talked about this a while back and you were, you were talking about doing it, I, I just think that it is so amazing that you're focusing on that because it really is something that we just didn't talk about as young athletes. And it was like, you know, you were almost again, embarrassed to talk about anything if it was even remotely going to, you know, affect your, your performance. And it was a girl thing. You just didn't talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, there was this like toughness that went along with sport where, you know, again, females wanting to perform and wanting to, to do that. Um, I definitely felt like I couldn't talk about it back then. So I think it's so important that you're doing it. And, um, yeah. So what, what, uh, what's, is it a program? What, what do you, um, yeah, what's the, what's the intention with it? Sure. So the vision is um, we're going to start out with ages 9 to 14 and create a program that has, um, I guess, six modules to it. And each module covers a different part. So we start with like mindset, then we move into nutrition, and then we move into the menstrual cycle. Then we talk about some recovery stuff and sleep. And then I have a skincare expert to come in and talk about all things skincare with these girls, because that seems to be well, you know, a little bit of market research said fix our acne, basically. So, yeah, that was one of the huge yeah. ones. So 
we're definitely going to include that. And then the progression from there. So I'm working with uh, my really, really good friend, Laura Davies. Um, yeah. And she played for Dal. And you guys know each other too, hey? Yes, we do. We we grew up together. She was really close friends with my younger sister. <laughs> small world. Yeah, she's awesome. It's such a small world. So uh, she's legendary. She played for Dal. She was AUS All-Canadian. Like she's a wicked athlete too. And um, she had some pretty... Uh, life pretty epic life moments that happened to her that would really shape had she had known more and had she had had this class or course that she could have navigated those better and same for me like if I had known to go get my ferritin tested and known that I was anemic like that would have been a game changer right yeah. so just some of these things so that's the first um set and then with all the parents and if a parent or trainer or coach signs up for the program, they get everything that the girls get. And then they get um, an additional video from Laura and I to talk about like how to approach these conversations, what words to avoid. Um, you know, if you're not comfortable with, here's some quick cues that you can start to use, what signs and symptoms to look out for in your child or um, it, for your athletes and, you know, some good motivational drills that they can use and stuff to keep all of this flowing and even past the, uh, the six weeks time, you know, and then the next progression is for um, basically 16 plus. So then a next group of athletes where we really see all the period dysfunction and horrible cramps and all that sort of stuff. So like the puberty intro, then, um, and then kind of the older athletes with a lot of set in symptoms. And then progressively we'd love to do, you know, um, through babies and getting back to athletics and then a menopause one too. So kind of through the life cycle, but I thought at this point, the most important for me would be the puberty piece. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think it's so great that you're doing that. And yeah, I would have loved that as a young athlete. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to talk to my mom about that stuff. No, no, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but all of my coaches were pretty much male. So it was yeah. like, yeah, we're just not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And like the words that were, were are used to describe, it just sounds like a horrific thing, right? And we, we're so negative around it, but it's like a powerhouse. You know, there's there's so many things that we can use for our advantage and, and differentiate ourselves from the guys. And yeah, I played with the guys growing up the whole time and then a lot of male coaches too. And it was, you just didn't mention those things, even though it would have been so helpful to be able to, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that you said it's, you know, there, there's a lot of strength in knowing it. And I think like, even just from a strength training perspective, it's so important that, you know, women understand the different cycles and, and sort of, again, adjusting training. So um, I would love if you maybe broke that down um, just a little bit about, you know, just sort of the cycle and, and training and nutrition. It can be very basic, but just kind of like what that looks like. Cause I know, like, even for me, I, I should have learned it way earlier than I did. <laughs> yeah. And the tricky thing is it's so different per person. So I yeah. think we're trying to pull out a lot of, like I see social media everywhere, like the week before your period only deload, yeah. but like, what if your competition is the week before your period, you got to practice like you play. Right. So um, what I really suggest to any female athlete listening or, or any female in general is to start tracking these things. So if you notice you're getting, you know, extra sweaty, really dehydrated and carb cravings, increase carbs at that time, drink, to, make sure you're staying hydrated, add some electrolytes to your water. If you feel extremely fatigued most of the time, then we have to check ferritin levels and we have to check where B12 is at, you know? So, um, I would say the biggest part of all of this is really listening to your body and getting such a good handle on your cycle that you'd be able to explain it to anyone. So in the point where like, I know, 
on day 16, every day 16, this is what's happening to me. So based on that, if it's a competitive sport where you are going to have competition, you have to learn how to train through that. You have to learn that, you know, if competition falls on that day, you can't just back out every time. Um, And then also as symptoms arise, like if you have horrible PMS and very bad cramps and all that sort of stuff, there's so many supplements that we can use. And there's so many tools that we have um, to help mitigate a lot of that stuff. So you don't have to live in pain is kind of my point there. And my big hope for designs for sport is to blend that functional medicine with, with athletes on this respect, because there's so many tools in the naturopathic realm that I can't actually use with a lot of athletes because of there's no NSF, um, for sport certification products, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you mentioned that because, you know, it is so different for everybody. And, you know, these, these kind of like blanket recommendations can be hard because again, we're all so different. And if you do have to perform at that time, you can't be like, wait, is this part of my cycle? Can I just do it next time? And you know, it's the same with male athletes. Like there's, you know, obviously we want them to be aware of their bodies, but at the end of the day, if they have to perform at a certain time and they're exhausted, they still have to perform. Mm-hmm. So it's like you said, using these tools and strategies and educating them on what they can do, um, to control that situation, to make it a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's all you can really do. So, um, what are some of those strategies that you use, um, with your athletes just to, you know, to get through those times when like their bodies are run down and like they have to push through performance? Yeah. So a really good, um, headspace check-in and and I find this is really difficult and individualized per per athlete but like having some sort of know-how or practice know-how of um are you tired and can you push through or are you done so like have you hit capacity or not is is a really tough question but I think we have to be trusting of ourselves and the way we trust it is to keep practicing that headspace to ask the question I would say um so that's one big thing and then um I run blood work for a lot of these female athletes. Like B12 is usually tanked. Ferritin, I want to see it above 50, you know, and and doctors are saying at 6.7, you're fine, which is mind blowing to me. Like, how would you perform at that level, you know? So um, another big thing, obviously, that we see with young female athletes is no period at all. So um, that's a tough conversation to have as well, because it's probably easier realistically not to have one but it's a huge issue not to have one right so to try to convey the importance of this you know crappy thing that happens once a month and and how important it is to get back is is a huge thing right um and then management wise so like five days leading out to most people's period, there's a lot of fatigue, a lot of pain, a lot of cramping. Um, And so nutritionally, like if we can do anything to reduce inflammation at that time, it's going to be huge. Um, And then another thing too, is like a lot of um, support care. So if we could get acupuncture to release the psoas muscles or um, some deep tissue work in there, I mean, really tight psoas and tight hip flexors, feel very comparable to period cramps, right? So it's going to be a lot of crossover at that time, especially if everything's inflamed. Um, so kind of, yeah, just listening to the athlete is huge and really figuring out their pain points. And for the athlete side of things like, hey, if you come into me and say, I don't know anything about my period and I don't know when my symptoms are coming or anything like that, it's really difficult for me to say like, okay, at this time we have to do this, this and this, right? 
You, uh, you mentioned something that I think was great there talking about what you're excited about with designs for sport and the crossover just between athletics and then, uh, just, just health, like holistic health, um, and, and functional health. And this is something that, that we definitely see a lot. I, I think like, they're like, well, what'd you guys do yesterday at the gym? I'm like, I don't know. Like we played a game and then we, then we went in the pool and swam a little bit and then we did some breathing and then we went home. Like <laughs> that was it. <laughs> we had a nice, I love lunch. that. Like yeah. we had a nice lunch. Um, how did, how did you get connected with, uh, with DFS? Um, how did I get connected with DFS? I think, um, well, the sales rep that was in Nova Scotia for designs for health, um, she and I went out to dinner and I probably like word vomited the whole time of like what my major pain point was in clinic, which was, I see all of these issues, but, and then if you're not a pro athlete or you're not P tested, I have all of the plan of attack for you. And I know exactly what I want to do, but for these athletes that I can't use these supplements in nutrition sometimes can only take us so far. Right. And I'm a huge advocate of food first wherever possible. Um, but it just feels like you're playing with one hand behind your back often. Awesome. So then, yeah. So then obviously as soon as this is just such a natural progression then for you just to switch over from one line to the other, really for, for those, those athletes specifically. Yeah, I've only ever had designs for health in clinic anyway. I just really, I don't know if Melissa just did a really great job of selling me on it, but from day one, the products always made sense to me and um, what was in them. I feel like I'm a spokesperson for the supplements right now, but honestly, like um, when I would think of what product I would want, Melissa would be like, oh, here it is. You know what I mean? That we already have that, or we already made that formula. And I'm like, okay, well, like, what about something like this? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, here it is. We've made that one too. And I'm like, okay, okay. I see what we're doing here. Um, so when I talked to Jordan from designs for sport, he was on the podcast a while back too. And like, when we say these ideas of what I'm thinking, what I need for the, for the athletes, it's like the first line of products that are being um, certified, you know what I mean? So everything just makes sense. It's an easy progression. And you can tell that the people who are working for the company truly work with high level athletes. Cause it's the same products that I want, you know, what, what, are, what are your big go-to products when you're working with, with an athletic population? I won't even just say athletes. We'll just say an athletic population or an active population. Yeah. Magnesium is huge. Um, that's one that like pretty well everyone gets um and there's a lot of different types of magnesium out there too so i really listen to the athlete like if it's a lot of headspace stuff and anxiety and um, recovery takes a hit on that front i use like um the magnesium theranate and then if it's more uh just like muscle recovery and that sort of stuff i'll use the bisglycinate and um so pretty well everyone gets that one i have um trying to think what else i use so for like the stress lineup most of the people that I see in front of me on some respect are burnt out um, somewhere on the spectrum. So I love the adrenotone product to kind of, or any sort of like adaptogens that help support those adrenal glands. And I mean, adrenal burnout and fatigue and stuff like that gets a hard rap. But when we look at whatever you want to call it, I don't really care. There's something happening where these, these, um, there's too much stress to the system and this, uh, these supplements really help to bring people back. You know what I mean? Um, and I do believe it's coming from the brain, but this seems to really help the process. So, uh, that's another huge one that I use often. There's, uh, one melatonin product that I use, and this is like a very personal theory. I don't know if you guys have experienced this or would agree with it at all, but, um, really high dose melatonin, I find, 
for sleep doesn't really work for anyone or it'll work for a little bit and then it doesn't work. So there's one melatonin out there that's like 0.4 micrograms. And I think our brain releases like 0.3 micrograms. So I've been using that one dosing, like when people wake up throughout the night, as if it's time to start their day, like that two or 3am wake up. And that seems to work quite well for people. And then um, I also work a lot in concussion management. So, you know, the alpha GPC, the magnesium theranate there, um, if there's any GI issues, kind of walking people through that digestive bitters seem to be a really good one for that. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much stuff I used, I guess, depends on who comes in the door. Awesome. What are your personal favorites right now? Like, like you're using for your own body. Yeah. Um, so I have a prenatal on the go just in case. Um, and like, just a tip, prenatals are jam packed with so many nutrients. So it's oh, a yeah. wicked what multivitamin, right? And like, they're more worried about pregnant ladies. So they're going to put functional dosing of stuff in a lot of them, especially if it's a professional brand. So I don't know if that's a secret, but it's definitely, you know, beneficial for me. My um, teacher I use, in school told me that and I yeah. it like resonated with me for sure. She's like, you, you know, you might uh, scare your partner, but all women should probably be taking it. <laughs> yeah. And technically the recommendation is like all women of childbearing age should be on a prenatal vitamin, which is kind of crazy, but I mean, it yeah. makes sense in case there was ever surprises down the road or anything. Um, I take NeuroCom. Um, I get really excited when I talk to patients. So I, I, have to be able to like keep that you know sympathetic under control or I'll just burn myself out getting too excited all day um what else do I take I take iron now finally I figured it out <laughs> um and magnesium constantly as much magnesium as I can get quite often and then for workouts and stuff I mean I'll do a protein powder after I train um every now and then I'll throw in some amino acids and then I'm a huge fan of adding electrolytes to my water because um, a lot of the food that I make is, you know, I don't really salt it or anything like that. So. Awesome. What's, what's training look like, by the way, you mentioned training. What's, uh, you have your Sherwood hockey sweater on right now. No one can see, but, but it's good. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I play in a, a women's competitive, I'm a spare in a women's competitive hockey league. So whenever I get the call up, I'm pretty excited about it, but, um, it was just too much of a commitment to like be on the team, I guess, because, I live in the Valley and if anyone knows the region, it's about 45 minutes to an hour into the city. Right. So it's just, I can't always make it back in there. Um, I coach young female athletes. Uh, so like the best in Nova Scotia of gray or ages nine and 10, I coach those guys, girls. And then um, I train, I have a wicked trainer uh, who live or like works just up the road from us. And he puts together some good training programs for me. So it's really strength-based stuff that I'm doing in the gym. What's uh, it's a hockey team, the nine and 10 year old hockey team. Is yeah. There's, they're not a team, but it's like, they all have their own teams. And then this one's like, um, uh, like a growth session for them. So um, there's like three or four coaches that come out and we just like, get them geared up and teach them new stuff. A lot of power skating, a lot of those type of drills. So I absolutely love doing that. And the kids are hilarious. That's uh, so fun. And what's mm. the, where are you train? What's, uh, what's the gym name? Is there, a, yes. Is, yeah. Give them a that, shout. Yeah. Blended athletics. So they're up the road. So once a week I go there and, um, Cody, my trainer, he, um, 
basically rips apart everything that I do in the nicest way possible. So uh, I have a lot of work to do in terms of all of the compound lifts and stuff like that. I'm just kind of really getting into that, which is hilarious. Like, you know, playing university sport and stuff, it was like, how much can you bench press? Or that's what we would be tested on, how many pull-ups you could do, which I didn't see the full translation into my hockey career, but you just did what you were told, you know? Uh, so yeah, blended athletics is a wicked gym and and they offer kind of, um, or Cody there offers me, uh, training and he just sets me up with a plan two days a week. I work out in, um, our gym at work and then once a week at blended. That's awesome. Mm. So what is your, uh, if you were to give resources, we'll start with maybe for young females. Are there any resources out there that you would recommend um, just to get to know, obviously, aside from your program, um, to get to know, yeah, what they need to know about athletics and their cycle, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think like, um, I know Stacy Sims is doing a really good job of breaking down uh, some of these barriers. Again, I think she's getting you know, a little bit lost in the trap of generalization of information, which I mean, it's great. It's a starting place, but we can't take all of Stacy's information and just repeat it over and over again. We have to keep, you know, breaking the mold and keep pushing for more education and more research. So uh, I'm so appreciative of everything that she did and is doing. We just have to keep rolling with it, I would say. But her book, Roar, is a really great place to start. There's another book, I forget the author, but it's the Period Repair Manual. So that's a really good one to just kind of break down a lot of things that are actually happening um, with the cycle. And I honestly don't know too many athletic-based books on puberty changes, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if you had any um, any suggestions. The, the second part of that is, you know, I know we chatted about this originally, but if people do want to work in sports, which is a very attractive field, uh, especially when you're, you know, working in nutrition or, or strength training. Um, yeah. How did you sort of break into, oh, hi, their dog just <laughs> popped up. Um, how would you break it? Yeah. How would, would you recommend breaking into working with athletes? Um, uh, so I, I would say... He's knocking everything down. Sorry. I love it. It's all good. <laughs> Can you still hear me? Um, it's tough. It's a tough go, right? Like what differentiates you from everyone else that wants to work with athletes, I would say. And one of the uh, big things for me was like getting out in really maybe not glamorous positions, like just going to sit with a team and going on the ice with a team or like sitting with a basketball team that I had never really, like, I don't know much about basketball, but just asking them questions and stuff. And like, what are your pain points and and all that. And then following people who are doing what you want to do is massive. Like, thank goodness you were super nice, but like, it is a little bit intimidating to reach out to people who are doing what you want to do, you know, but you were lovely. And um, so just kind of keep, keep putting feelers out to people who are doing what you want to do and, and ask how they got there. And I think another big thing for me was like offering your time um, and for free, right? Like what can you offer them? So for a little bit of information is huge. So Um, so many times I'd be like, Hey, can you just walk me through this concept and I'll write an article for you. I'll write a blog post or whatever like that, which was huge. And people were way more receptive to give me information if you're offered to do stuff for them, you know? Um, so that was big. And then, uh, shoot for the moon. It sounds hilarious, but whoever you think like you don't, you can't talk to or whoever, like that's been really representative with, uh, the podcast so far, just asking 
people who would be way out of the podcast league kind of, but they say yes. And, and it's a wicked opportunity to keep learning. That's awesome. T- tell us about the podcast. We didn't really touch on it. What, uh, when, where did it come from? How long? What's it about? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost coming up on its year anniversary, I would say. Um, and I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And then I was like, you know what, like stop thinking, just start doing. And the off season, my thought process was like, I read the book open by Andre Agassi years and years and years ago. And I love that book because you finally get like this in-depth look at an athlete's life. And we always think it's so glamorous and we always think um, it's the best world ever. But when you get really into these um, autobiographies of athletes, it's crazy what they go through to get to where they are, you know? So I kind of wanted it to be like an autobiography form of information sharing. And then kind of like what we were talking about at the start of the podcast is um, all of this information seems high level, but there's, there's takeaways that everyone can take from it and things that everyone can learn from it. So just listening to people's stories is probably my favorite thing to do. The fact that it's about sports is even more cool for me. And then um, people getting to like the best part, I'm sure you guys would agree is like someone you don't know saying, Hey, I, I listened to this and I loved it and it really helped my life, you know? For yeah. Sure. I love that. That's um, yeah. And it was great. I think like the podcasting is one of those things that you do just have to get the reps in and have the conversations. And like you said, reach out uh, to people who are doing what you want to do or, or interesting conversations because it's such an amazing way to get information out now. Definitely. Yeah. Even though it's like, you know, everyone has a podcast now, but it's still, you know, very much a, an opportunity to express and get your, get your word out and in a way of like having these connecting conversations with people. So yeah, it's a grind. And like the learning curve from it is massive. Like you're, I think Joe Rogan explained it really well the other day. I I can't remember who he was talking to, but he was just like, you're trying to think of the next question, take on everything that they just said, not sound silly for what you're saying next and try to keep on somewhat track thinking of the people who are listening, what they would want to know too. It's it's wild to think of all of that at once, right? Yeah, that's such a good point. Awesome. So anything else that you want to leave our members? Any last words, NIP members, listeners? listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for Designs for Sport. Like this is... um, you know, been a while in the making and it was kind of like a hush and then it got bigger and bigger. So I can't wait for athletes to see, you know, what we've known for a really long time or what we've known works for a really long time and start to bring it into the leagues where, you know, performance is just exponential at this point. And I think my main focus with this is um, how do people, how to get athletes to keep doing what they're doing for longer which seems to be the, the biggest attribute that we could probably add with these supplementations and, and protocols. Yeah, absolutely. Where can, where can everyone find out more about, uh, about you, about the off season podcast, about glass lion? Where's the, where's the best source? Yeah. So, um, I have a website. It took me like four years to make it, but I have one now. Uh, it's drcoaxnd.com. Um, and then all of my socials are attached to that. But if you want to go right to Instagram, it's at sports.cokes is where I post most of my information. And then the off season has its own Instagram account, uh, the off season period podcast. 
conversation. Awesome. Well, Nicole, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, this is a very important conversation and we wanted to introduce you as obviously one of, uh, one of the members that is so excited about, you know, again, bringing this uh, health of athletes to the performance piece as well. And, uh, you know, the conversation about female athletes, I think it's so important, even all our male listeners, I know it might seem overwhelming to hear all of this, but it's also important for you to know if you have any women in your life. Um, these are important conversations that we need to have. So thank you so much for yeah, pioneering that and, and especially working with young females. That's, uh, yeah, really great. And I'm excited to see what what comes of that. Yeah, definitely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me guys.